0: What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place, for free. Which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, the lesser of the podcast platforms, Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made $5, and I've been doing this for three months. So, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Guys, what's happening? With me, nothing. Nothing. I still haven't gotten a tree person to come out. My work is still miserable. Uh, got together with some friends. Pretty much it. Got my kids around. There's nothing exciting or new to report, which is kind of depressing. Maybe this weekend I'll be a little bit more excited. Excited? Exciting. And it'll excite the weekend. I'm gonna get together with uh, a friend. And then maybe go on another date. Can't tell if it's a date. Can't tell if we're just friends. Not sure. Nothing's happened. Don't feel like I'm in a good spot to decide one way or the other what the heck's going on. But I'm just gonna do it and keep going with the flow. As the Daoist would say, uh, run, run across the stream. That's pretty much it. I don't have anything else. Oh, except the flies uh, Tuesday woke up opened the windows, beautiful day no humidity 75 degrees the sun was shining in through the windows it was fantastic and all of a sudden I see a bunch of flies all over the, the kitchen window on the outside and I think to myself, whoa that's intense, I better close this window up in case they can find a way to squeeze in So I closed the window up and noticed two flies flying around inside my place. And I thought, ah, that's not a problem. I'll just swat those two flies, and then I'll get on with my life, editing the Book Boys podcast. So I did, and then I saw more, so I got rid of them. I thought, oh, a couple squeaked through, but I've got all the windows closed now in the whole house because I thought they were attracted to my cat's poop. They, uh... The cats, the the little black cat I have, who's 18 years old, takes poops like an old man does, and they stink up the whole house. They're really bad, and she never covers them, because she's my little princess. And I figured the flies were attracted to that, and that's why they're crawling all over the window and trying to find a way to squeeze in. So I cover up the poops, I close all the windows, kill off the flies I see, but I notice the flies keep coming, and coming, and coming. I was keeping track of them. And went over 25 to 30 before I'd lost count. Just kept coming and coming. One fly was a huge one that I swat. And this is where I nearly threw up. I swatted it, really annoyed, and sat back down at the kitchen table to keep editing and felt something ticklish on my arm, right where the The crease is for your... uh, or your elbow on the opposite side little tickling thing so I look down and there's a boogery kind of glop on my skin with things wiggling in it tiny little things little worm things they were baby baby maggots in a glop on my arm so when I swat the giant fly it ejected all that stuff all over my arm I guess or in one spot so that was disgusting my skin's crawling just talking about it so I wash my arm thoroughly took off all my clothes, burned them, went and took a shower, came back down, more flies. So that was disgusting. And I spent the whole day killing flies. Finally the sun sets. Uh, there's only a fly or two to go after. The next day I expected there was gonna be a ton more. Something must have died behind the walls. And flies were getting in and making babies and now those babies were released and doing their thing. So I, uh, went out and I bought fly paper, which is useless. It's on like a little roll. Looks like a paper towel roll. And, uh, put those by the windows. No flies touched them. Also, there's no flies anymore. So what the heck was that about? Was it like a fly convention? I don't know. They were just there for a day and then gone. So that's really annoying. Let's get on with the show. Also, there may or may not be inappropriate content for kids or really sensitive adults. It's public domain books for the most part that I'm reading, so um, I think it's probably pretty safe and you probably shouldn't worry about it. But I don't read any of this stuff before I start doing the podcast, so I'm kind of learning about the book as you do. And uh, if anything really cool happens that's sexual in nature or involves a lot of swearing, I'm going to be pretty impressed just like you and maybe your kid in the back seat. And with that, enjoy this episode of Leaves of Glen. I am Glen Nuzzles. So what happened in the last episode? Oh, get those headphones on. Uh, Avis has to act like a different woman? Oh yeah, that's right. Cause Ernest's like, I'm getting out of prison and my stuff's getting kinda weird. And I want you to act like a whole different lady for me. Uh, she goes over some of the previous people and finds out that most of them are dead. Anna Royalston. Royalston uh, is some psychopath lady that they spend a lot of time talking about and I'm sure we'll never hear about her again. There's only five chapters. They don't seem to ever really invest in a character. Uh, Fresco Reds. They're weird bunch of murderous people, and the socialists have to do business with them. So on to chapter 20, which is a lost oligarch. But in remembering the old life, I have run ahead of my story into the new life. The wholesale jail delivery did not occur until well along into 1915. Complicated as it was, it was carried through without a hitch. And as a very credible achievement, it cheered us on in our work. From Cuba to California, out of scores of jails, military prisons, and fortresses. In a single night, we delivered 51 of our 52 congressmen. And, in addition, over 300 other leaders. There was not a single instance of miscarriage. Not only did they escape... But every one of them, one to the refugees as planned. Refugees. Refuges. Refugees. It's split up in half, so it's confusing me. The one comrade congressman we did not get was Arthur Simpson. And he had already died in Cambanus after cruel tortures. The 18 months that followed were perhaps the happiest period of my life with Ernest. During that time, we were never apart. Later, when we went back into the world, we were s- we were separated much? Hmm. Not more importantly do I await the flame of tomorrow's revolt than I did the night await of the coming of Ernest. Ugh. I had not seen him for so long, and the thought of a possible hitch or error in our plans... That would keep him still in his island prison, almost drove me mad. Uh, the hours passed like ages. I was all alone. Bidenbach and three young men, oh boy, here we go, who had been living in the refuge, were out and over the mountain, heavily armed and prepared for anything. The refuges, refuges, refugees? Why is this spelt weird for me? All over the land were quite empty, I imagine, of comrades that night. I have to look up what this is. Oh, okay. Uh, protection or shelter? So it's refuge. But they keep calling it refuges. Refuge. There you go. It's a shelter of protection, as from weather or danger. So that explains that. Just as the sky paled with the first warning of dawn, never heard of dawn being a warning, Like a violent, scary thing. I heard the signal from above and gave the answer. In the darkness, I almost embraced Bidenbach, who came down first. But the next moment, I was in Ernest's arms. And in that moment, so complete had been my transformation, I discovered it was only by an effort of will that I could be the old Avis Everhard, with the old mannerisms and smiles, phrases and intonations of voice. It was by strong effort only that I was able to maintain my old identity. I could not allow myself to forget for an instant so automatically imperative had become the new personality I had created. Once inside the little cabin, I saw Ernest's face in the light. With the exception of the prison pallor, There was no change in him, at least not much. He was my same lover-husband and hero. And yet, there was a certain aesthetic lengthening of the lines of his face, but he could not well stand it, for it seemed to add a certain nobility of refinement to the riotous excess of life that had always marked his features. He... "'might have been a trifle graver than of yore, "'but the glint of laughter still was in his eyes. "'He was twenty pounds lighter, "'but in splendid physical condition. "'He had kept up exercise during the whole period of confinement, "'and his muscles were like iron. "'In truth, he was in better condition "'than when he had entered prison. "'Hours passed before his head touched pillow, "'and I had soothed him off to sleep.' But there was no sleep for me. I was too happy. And the fatigue of jailbreaking and riding horseback had not been mine. While Ernest slept, I changed my dress, arranged my hair differently, and came back to my new automatic self. Then... Uh, when Bidenbach and the other comrades awoke with their aid, I concocted a little conspiracy. All was ready, and we were in the cave room that served for kitchen and dining room, When Ernest opened the door and entered. At that moment, Bidenbach addressed me as Mary, and I turned and answered him. Then I glanced at Ernest with curious interest, such as any young comrade might betray, "'on seeing for the first time so noted a hero of the Revolution. "'But Ernest's glance took me in "'and quested impatiently past and around the room. "'The next moment I was being introduced to him as Mary Holmes "'to complete the deception, an extra plate was laid, "'and then we sat down to table. "'One chair was not occupied. "'I'm being distracted. "'My watch is making a lot of noise.' So, we're just going to turn that off. Let's read that part over. To complete the deception, an extra plate was laid. And when we sat down to table, one chair was not occupied. I could have cried out with joy as I noted Ernest's increasing uneasiness and impatience. Finally, he could stand it no longer. Where uh, is my wife? he demanded bluntly. She is still asleep, I answered. It was the crucial moment, but my voice was a strange voice. And in it he recognized nothing familiar. What kind of world is this? (laughs) I think you'd be kind of weirdly haunted by the person sitting next to you that kind of has traces of what you recognize from another person, kind of an uncanny valley happening, but nope, not with Ernest. The meal went on. I talked a great deal and enthusiastically as a hero worshipper might talk, and it was obvious that he was my hero. (laughs) My cat. I rose to a climax of enthusiasm and worship, and before he could guess my intention, threw my arms around his neck and kissed him on the lips. He held me from him at arm's length and stared about in annoyance and perplexity the four men greeted him with roars of laughter. And explanations were made. At first he was skeptically, scrutinized me keenly, and was half convinced, then shook his head and would not believe. It was not until I became the old Avis Everhard and whispered secrets in his ear that no one knew but he and Avis Everhard that he accepted me as his really, truly wife. It was later in the day that he took me in his arms, manifesting great embarrassment and claiming polyamorous, polygamous emotions, polygamous emotions. Eh, uh, when you're going to screw up words that much, it's probably a good spot to take a little break and learn about a new book from Penguin Random House coming out on July 2nd. It's only 336 pages, people. It's the book Devoted to Love by Shayla Black. He was sent to guard her body. He didn't expect her to steal his heart. Her sister's wedding was hardly the place to find a hookup. But after one look at friend of the groom and special operative Josiah Grant, a small town, (coughs) uh, Texas Beauty Magnolia West, uh, immediately fell in lust. After a stunningly sensual night together, Maggie is prepared for the two of them to go their separate ways. After all, she's not a happy ever after kind of girl, but Josiah and Danger change her plans. Josiah isn't looking for love, but Maggie rouses his body and stirs his heart like no other woman. Mm -hmm. She's got a rocky romantic past, and a smart man would steer clear. Trouble City I threw that one in, that's me But when the murderer quotient Murder quotent In Kendall County ri- rises And all signs point to a mysterious group Nearby who have been harassing Maggie's family He can't leave her unprotected Especially when he realizes He's fallen hard for her As tension mounts And the menace closes in Josiah will do anything To prove to Maggie that their love is real But can they stay alive long enough to share it? So there you go. Devoted to love. Praise? I don't know. Only got praise from things like USA Today, who says, Black always delivers strong characters. Great stories and plenty of heat. I don't know, maybe the New York Times says, Shayla Black's books are a must-read. Oh, this is from Laura Lee, number one New York Times best-selling author. Well, it's not really New York Times. Uh, Maya Banks, another best-selling author. It seems like everyone's a best-selling author on New York Times. Uh, emotional, searingly sexy stars. Uh, Christi- Christina Lauren, another New York Times best-selling author. Shayla Black inspired us to write, and now inspires us to do more. Get better. She's a master of her craft, a wordsmith, a storyteller, and an undisputed genre trendsetter. Fiction Vixen says it's absolutely fabulous. Jackie Burton, another New York Times bestselling author. Oh my god. Wickedly seductive from start to finish. And Sylvia Day, another New York Times bestselling author. A Shayla Black story never disappoints! Exclamation point. So there you go. Make sure to stand outside your bookstore on July 2nd to get your copy of Devoted to Love by Shayla Black. And if they don't have it at the store, don't be afraid to throw an embarrassing hissy fit. Now back to the story. You are my Avis, he said. And you are also someone else. You are two women, and therefore you are my harem. Oh, here's where his perversion comes in. At any rate, we are safe now. If the United States becomes too hot for us, why... I have qualified for citizenship in Turkey. Life became for me very happy in the refuge. It is true, we worked hard and for long hours, but we worked together. We had each other for 18 precious months. And we were not lonely, for there was always a coming and going of leaders and comrades, strange voices from the underworld of intrigue and revolution, bringing stranger tales of strife and war from our, uh, from all our battle line. And there was much fun and delight, and we were not mere gloomy conspirators. Uh, we toiled hard and suffered greatly, filled the gaps in our ranks, and went on and Through all the labor and the play and interplay of life and death, we found time to laugh and to love. There were artists scientists and scholars, musicians, poets among us.
1: And in that hole-in-the-ground,
0: culture was higher and finer than in the palaces or wonder cities, again, of the oligarchs. In truth, many of our comrades toiled at making beautiful those same palaces and wonder cities, nor were we confined to the refuge itself. Often at night, we rode over the mountains for exercise. Oh, over by that guy's house, they'll catch you. And we rode on Wickerson's horses. Oh, they stole his horses. If only he knew how many revolutionists his horses have carried. We even went on picnics to isolated spots we knew, where we remained all day, going before daylight and returning after dark. Also, we used Wicksons' cream and butter and Ernest was not above shooting Wixen's quail and rabbits, and on occasion, his young box. Indeed, it was a safe refuge. I have said that it was discovered only once, and this brings me to the clearing up of the mystery of the disappearance of young Wixen. Now that he is dead, I am free to speak. There was a nook. Um, bottom of a great hole where the sun shone for several hours and which was hidden from above. Here we had carried many loads of gravel from the creek bed so that it was dry and warm, a pleasant basking place, and here one afternoon I was drowsing, half asleep, over a volume of Mendenhall, I was so comfortable and secure that even his flaming lyrics failed to stir me. I was aroused by a clod of earth striking at my feet. Then, from above, I heard a sound of scrambling. The next moment, a young man, with a final slide down the crumbling wall, alighted at my feet. It was Philip Wixon, Though I did not know him at the time, he looked at me coolly and uttered a low whistle of surprise. Okay. "'Well,' he said, and in the next moment, cap in hand, he was saying, "'I beg your pardon. I did not expect to fight anyone here. It was not so cool. "'I was still a Tyro, so far as concerned, "'knowing how to behave in desperate circumstances. "'Later on, when I was an international spy, I would have been less clumsy. "'I am sure as it was, I scrambled to my feet and cried out the danger call.' "'Why did you do that?' he asked, looking at me, searchingly. "'It was evident that he had had no suspicion of our presence when making the descent. "'I recognized this with relief. "'For what purpose do you think I did it?' I countered. "'I was indeed clumsy in those days.' "'I don't know,' he answered, shaking his head. "'Unless you got friends about. "'Anyway, you got some explanations to make. "'I don't like the look of it. "'You are trespassing.' This is my father's land, and... But at that moment, Bidenbach, ever polite and gentle, said from behind him in a low voice, Hands up, my young sir. Young Wixen put his hands up first, then turned to confront Bidenbach, who held a 30 30 automatic rifle on him. Wixen was imperturbable. Oh, ho, he said, a nest of revolutionists, and quite a hornet's nest, it would seem. Well, you won't abide here long, I can tell you. Maybe you'll abide here long enough to reconsider that statement, Bidenbach said quietly. And in the meanwhile, I must ask you to come inside with me. Inside, the young man was generally astonished. Have you a catacomb here? I have heard of such things. Come on and see, Bidenbach answered with his adorable accent. "'But it is unlawful,' was the protest. "'Yes, by your law,' the terrorist replied significantly, "'but by our law, believe me, it is quite lawful. "'You must accustom yourself to the fact that you are in another world "'than the one of oppression and brutality in which you have lived. "'There is room for argument there,' Wixen muttered. "'Then stay with us and discuss it.' "'The young fellow laughed and followed his captor into the house.' He was led to the inner cave room, and one of the young comrades left to guard him. While we discussed the situation in the kitchen, Bidenbach, with tears in his eyes, held that Wixen must die and was quite relieved when we outvoted him and his horrible proposition. What kind of a terrorist is he? On the other hand, we could not dream of allowing the young oligarch to depart. I'll tell you what to do, Ernest said. We'll keep him and give him an education. I bespeak the privilege, then, of enlightening him in jurisprudence, Beidenbach cried. And so a decision was laughingly reached. We would keep Philip Wixson, a prisoner, and educate him in our ethics and sociology. But in the meantime, there was work to be done. All trace of the young oligarch must be obliterated. There were the marks he had left when descending the crumbling wall of the hole. His... This task fell to Bidenbach, and slung on a rope from above, he toiled cunningly for the rest of the day till no sign remained. Back up the canyon, from the lip of the hole, all marks were likewise removed. Then, at twilight, came John Carlson, who demanded Wixen's shoes. The young man didn't want to give up his shoes. He even offered to fight for them, till he felt the horseshoers' strength in Ernest's hands. Carlson afterward reported several blisters and much grievous loss of skin due to the smallness of the shoes, but he succeeded in doing gallant work with them back from the lip of the hole where he ended up the young man's obliterated trail. Carlson put on the shoes and walked away to the left. He walked for miles around knolls over ridges and through canyons, and finally covered the trail in the running water of a creek bed. Here he removed the shoes, and still hiding, trail for distance, and last put his own shoes on, and a week later, Wixen got back his shoes. That night, the hounds were out, and there was little sleep in the refuge. Next day, time and again, the baying hounds came down the canyon, plunged off to the left on the trail Carlson had made for them, and were lost to ear in the farther canyons high up the mountain. And all the time our men waited in the refuge, weapons in hand, automatic revolvers and rifles, to say nothing of half a dozen infernal machines of box manufacture. A more surprised party of rescuers could not be imagined. They, had they ventured down into our hiding place, I have now given the true disappearance of Philip Wixen, one time oligarch and later comrade in the revolution. For we had converted him. In the end, his mind was fresh and plastic, and by nature, he was very ethical. Several months later, we rode him on one of his father's horses over Sonoma Mountain to Petaluma Creek and embarked him on a small fishing launch. By easy stages, we smuggled him along our Underground railroad, Railway to the Carmel Refuge, there he remained eight months, at the end of which time, for two reasons, he was loath to leave us. One reason was that he had fallen in love with Anna Royalston, and the other was that he had become one of us. It was not until he had become convinced of the hopelessness of his love affair that he acceded, acceded to our wishes and went back to his father, ostentate, ostensibly, ostensibly, wow, I know that word, and I could not read it ostensibly, an oligarch until his death, he was, in reality one of the most valuable of our agents. Often and often has the iron heel been dumbfounded by the miscarriage of its plans and operations against us. If it had but knew the number of its own members who are our agents, it would understand. Young Wixon never wavered in his loyalty to the cause in truth. His very death was incurred by his devotion to duty. In the great storm of 1927, while attending a meeting of our leaders, he contracted the pneumonia of which he died. Oh, young Wixon. Well, what did we learn? In Chapter 20, A Lost Oligarch. Uh... There was way, way too many pages devoted to Ernest not knowing who his wife is when she decided to dress up. Uh, how he's still a good man, that when he thinks a complete strange woman is trying to kiss him, he gets annoyed. And that was pretty much 75% of that chapter, but then Wixon's kid shows up, and a very non-exciting interaction between uh, him and the terrorist and Carlson uh, as they decide not to kill him. Then, Wixson's kid falls in love with the murderous Anna. After being more or less, I guess, brainwashed, they just sat and talked to him for a long time about how being an oligarch sucks, and then he becomes the, their highest operative, and we learn nothing about that period of his life. We don't learn anything more about him. He's just another pawn in the story until he dies of pneumonia years later. So that was the story. We're getting closer, people. We're only four more chapters away from freedom. Uh, I might have to do double chapters or something. I want to get through this dang thing. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope that you return again to uh, Leaves of Glen. I have been Glen Nuzzles, for your pleasure.